and kind of do a quick introduction. This is going to be part of a whole program, but uh, I am with uh, the only Uncle Joe I have that I like, uh, Joe Sapoli. <laughs> <laughs> and we are going to kind of do an as it plays out uh, bit of discussion on the election and 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 our hope is that the uh oh what did i hear the the name for because i heard cheeto chief and a bunch of other ones i heard the mango mussolini today I okay that one's a new one i, I, I hadn't I, heard I, that I one before Joe, thank you for inviting me in um yeah. it is uh it is, it is a pleasure to sit there sit here and uh talk about this with you yes it, it, like, like I said, yeah, I heard that one today. I, I kind of started laughing at work. That one was good. I had not heard that one yet. Um, but as it stands, I've kind of been following returns. Um, uh, let's see. I'm kind of got MSNBC on in the background as it goes, and they've been breaking down the South and a lot of the Southern states, and Florida actually is still a toss-up, which I was a little surprised about. I figured... Well, I think... I think with Florida, I think you've got a couple things at play in Florida. You've got a very large, you've got, you've got a lot of, of retirees from up north, uh, yeah. people with money, people who are basically keeping an eye out on their 401k. So they're going to tend to want to go Republican because, hey, they see uh, the stock market as enhancing their retirement savings. Right. Um, and... Right, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say you've also got um, a large, you've you've got a large Hispanic block, and that Hispanic block is primarily made up of Cubans, and right. the Cubans have not gotten over Fidel Castro, even though it's been sixty years. No, and they hate the Democrats for that because that was that was Kennedy's baby. Right, and. Then you've got the other Hispanics, other Hispanic group, the uh, Haitians, Puerto Ricans. Uh, a know, touch of Chileans the in there too, I think. I'm sorry, what? A touch of like Eastern, Eastern Latin America kind of. Yes. There too. And they will tend, they will tend to vote uh, Democratic. And then of course right. you've got a fairly significant black population. Right. You've also got a uh, indigenous American population. You've got the Seminoles uh, and what uh, you know, other uh, Native American uh, tribes down there, and they—they're going to be—they're kind of hard to predict, I think, because they're going to go whichever way is in their best interest. Well, um, <laughs> and it, and it's weird because it all it depends because some of the. Uh, at least I know up here in the Pacific Northwest, the way the divisions between like political tribal leaders and economic tribal leaders is really interesting at times. So, so it's, it varies. I know predominantly Pacific Northwest tribes tend to lean democratic, but a lot of the Southern and the, I've seen some of the Southern and the Midwest or Midwest tribes lean right, which is surprising. Well, they are, they're they're going to go whichever way is going to support their bread and butter, which uh, right now is the gambling in the casinos. Right. Um. So 
it all comes down to something that my uh, social studies teacher taught me uh, years ago. Um, people vote their pocketbook. Oh, yeah. Uh, people will always look out for their best interest financially. Um, so, like I said, if you take a look at the, if you take a look at Florida, if you take a look at, uh, if you take a look at the South, you will see that the overwhelming majority of the population is white males, or right. I should say whites. Uh, African Americans are a significant portion of minorities, but they are, uh, what, maybe 30%? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, and, and I'm pulling that out of my butt because I don't have census statistics since uh, Trump did such a marvelous job of trying to stop it under this year's count. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a good story about that too. <laughs> so I but, had a, um, I, oh, go ahead. Uh, you, you're always going to get people who are always going to vote their pocketbook. That is the one lesson that I learned and I'm never going to forget. And, and I agree with that, but then I also agree that it would, particularly in the South, um, they tend to vote against their best interests, at least in the last, I'd say, 30 years. Like, again, kind of since we were talking a little bit before, kind of since the Reagan turn, because in the South circa 1930s, 1940s, it was very much, you kind of started to see this division come in where you had these guys that during the Dust Bowl and the Depression started voting Democratic because Roosevelt saved their ass. Right. But the thing was, is he migrated all those people out of the South and into the Midwest and Detroit and... Place. But did he migrate them, or did they migrate on their own? Because well, so, 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 a little bit of both. Were. A little bit of both, because there was it was a matter of basically they said, okay, if you guys want out of here, here are these you know the, the alphabet soup programs, and they were able to take advantage of those and move. And and they yes, it was on their own, but it was due to the fact that he was creating job opportunities in the cities and elsewhere with alphabet soup programs. The other thing you have to recall too is during the great depression, the dust bowl and leading up through the twenties, thirties, forties, and the fifties, Jim Crow was very, 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 very much the uh, driving factor in the South. Right. Even though, the even though supposedly there was the uh, all men are created equal that had been you know with the advance of the Dred Scott decision and so on, uh, civil rights were starting to inch forward slowly but surely. Right. That was really only starting to take hold in the North. Right, uh, and then at the time too, the the polls switched the the political spectrum basically flip-flopped too. Well, the political spectrum flip-flopped completely probably in the 60s. 
Right, but it was starting then because of the, the Jim Crow and and the racial signal. Those guys tended to vote. They were Southern Democrats, but they started voting Republican because for some reason the Republican Party were really, really supportive of maintaining those Jim Crow laws and maintaining. Yes. Um, if, you, if you were to take a look dating back to, and, and this is, I'm trying to support your, your, your argument here. If you take a look back to the Civil War and to Lincoln, uh, Lincoln was probably the best Democrat the country ever had. And he held <laughs> yes. the office as a Republican. By, by the, by, I would argue, Democrat by modern standards. Yes. Yes. Republican by 1850s, 60s standards. And in fact, it's interesting because Lincoln was actually one of the most hated presidents to step into office. Well, if you, I, I had this conversation with, uh, ironically, a couple of uh, millennials um, at a pizza hut last week. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were a fan of a better quality of pizza there, Joe. I'm sorry, I take that back. Not Pizza Hut, Round Table. Oh, there you go. Okay, that's, yes, I was going to say that. <laughs> that. That is at least uh, fast food pizza. Yes. Um, but the, the point is, um, a lot, you know, these two, these two young gentlemen had no idea um, as to what the point of the Civil War was. And I don't think anybody today really knows what the point of the Civil War was. No. And it was all about maintaining, essentially maintaining slavery. Right. It was, it was a power a way, struggle. Yeah. It was basically a way for the wealthy landowners to essentially compete and contribute to the GDP of the country. Right. Because let's face it, the United the northern part of the country above the so-called Mason-Dixon line had all of the industry. The South was essentially the, they were the bread bowl. Right. You got your corn, your okra, your wheat, um, all Cotton. the things that the country needs to be fed. You, they couldn't really compete unless they had a source of cheap labor. I mean, remember, they did not have minimum wage laws back then. No, no. So this was a way, the Civil War was a way for them to maintain their power structure, maintain their wealth, and to maintain a source of cheap labor. Right. And, and the South, it was really, and that, you know, and I always hear the argument, well, states' rights and da-da-da-da. No, it was, I kind of, I've gotten into, I've got a friend of mine who's pretty liberal, and he was, He's part of one of those Confederate like reenactment groups or whatever it is. And, and fine, whatever, you know, I appreciate that because at least you're, you know, trying to understand history in some way or another, but I, God, I hate the state's right argument because it's not, it was basically the South knew that the North had, had a better, stronger economy. They had goods to export and the only way they could compete was either withholding the the because they were essentially producing the raw materials that the north needed to function 
So they either withheld those materials or they, and, or they, the other option was to, you know, they have to maintain this slave workforce so that they can compete economically because the only other way is they were done. I mean, they had no, they, they can't really do a slowdown because then their economy is going to collapse. The North will get right. somewhere else. The, and the state's right argument, you, you have to realize, the state's right argument is something that we were spoon-fed uh, when we were in middle school for the simple fact that the curriculum that was being taught at the time the belief was, well, kids won't be able to understand anything about this. So they boiled it down as simple as possible. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to get into a argument or a disagreement as to, well, that's wrong. They should have said what it was about because I'm not an educator and I don't know how they plan their curriculum or anything like that. But that's where the argument comes through. It's up to the individual to learn further what really went right. on with the Civil War. And that requires taking further history classes in high school as well as in college. Well, and that's why it's so incredibly important to really look at where um, textbooks are written and things. That's why I know a lot of teachers being married to one. I know a lot of the teachers up here, they get really frustrated that the textbooks come out of Texas because so much of the history now is being whitewashed over for for a multitude of reasons but a part of it is blatant racism part of it is public schools because they're governed by parents quite and I mean you know this is the blunt statement on my part but that are too chicken shit to have their kids actually realize what hardship is and what violence is that they don't want little Jimmy or Johnny to realize that from the 18 or from the earliest formation of this country clear into the 19 late seventies, the level of violence and brutality against black people in this country was off the charts. Well, it's not just black people. But, but uh, any minority. Right. I mean, I, I, I have a unique perspective in that my great-great-great-grandfather, there may even be another great in there, uh, was part of the Trail of Tears. Uh, so Native Americans uh, face the same, uh, same racism. Uh, yes. Italians face the same oh racism. Yeah. I mean... And the other thing you have to realize, too, is parents are trying to, they're trying to protect their children. They don't want, they don't want to have them see anything that is too, too violent or too, um, too upsetting at a young age. So... For right or wrong, you're you're going to get some level of protection. Uh, I find right. it ironic because these are the same parents that have your kids go to. If you're a Catholic, go to catechism. 
and get a really, really, really warped sense of morality there. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> or, yeah, or the, the Christians that, you know, that are the, the hellfire Baptists that, you know, use fear to create believers. Right, exactly. Um, so it doesn't surprise me one way or the other that you have this, um, for lack of a better word, hesitancy to show what really happened. I think the belief is you will see that at some point when you're mature enough, whether that be in high school, whether that be in college, some may never see it. I mean, one need take a look, no look further than what we're seeing right now with the extreme right. Right. Um, and you're, you, we've always had that, we've always had that aspect of the population. So this really is nothing new, but you've got a president in power who essentially embraces that. Yep. And he encourages his followers to um, basically go forth and let their, let their opinions be known because he's, he speaks for them. And that's what, to me, has been the hardest thing watching him as as a president is that you're there are certain fundamental things that we're held to as Americans and one of them are like because my a lot of my influence comes from my my mom's dad and then even to some degree my my dad's dad who were World War II guys and my mom's dad was an Italian American uh, first generation American actually his parents came from Napoli Hey, Pisano. Yes. And so he, he actually, he served in World War II, did all the, um, he was a second wave tank destroyer battalion through uh, Normandy and D-Day, the whole thing. And I mean, he had to fight his brothers because, you know, the Italians, yeah. with, I mean, so, and yet he told me, he said, because, you know, he one of the things he got to do for 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 better because there was no i mean it was awful what he had to see but it was it was for the better is he got to liberate uh his battalion liberated one of the camps liberated one of the the concentration camps and he told me this explicitly and i will remember till the day i die he said his commander came to them uh through through Patton and ba Patton basically told the commanders to tell their guys, look, you're going to go into this. You're going to see things you don't want to look at. You're going to see things that are unimaginable, that are horrible, that are horrors that should never happen again. And you need to remember them because within, within months to years after we leave here, there will be people coming out and saying this never happened. Right. And so to have and and granted, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not stupid. I know that Nazism has been part of the American fabric since the 20s. In in a way, in one way or another. I mean, Christ, Hitler Youth. That's one of the reasons Roosevelt couldn't get us into World War II in the first place is because there was such a pushback from the Hitler Youth and from the the pro-Nazi organizations in the United States that there's no way he was going to get people to back that. But 
after people realized and the mentality changed, it makes me sick to see the re-rise of that in this country and to see a president support that. Or not necessarily support it, but flat ass, flat ass deny it. Or I mean, flat or flat ass like not come out and say, this is wrong. He embraces it. Uh, yes. He embraces it. Yeah, to not deny it, to not say, hey, you guys get out of here. I don't want you at my rallies. I don't want you anywhere near me. You need to leave. And it just is, it's beyond sickening. Well, you have to realize um, Trump doesn't give a flying fuck about the country or his supporters. The only thing Donald James Trump or is it, Don, is it James or John? Donald John Trump. I think John. I think he's named after his grandfather. The only thing he cares about is himself. Right, yeah. He is... He, he views this as a way to... Basically, he sees himself as an emperor or a king or, or what have you. He is, he's the biggest celebrity on the planet. Or so he likes to think. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just saying that's what he says. Or right. Think. I, re- I read so, his book. I read his niece's book. It's fascinating. Whose book? Mary Trump. Oh, oh, I have not. I have not read it. Um, the next book that I want to read outside of finishing Great Expectations right now um, is. Um, now I can't remember the name of the book. Oh, What's the Matter with Kansas? Huh, I and I think it, it touches on what you and I uh, talked about earlier about why certain parts of the country vote against their best interests. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Oh, I might have to pick that one up myself. So um, I'm looking at trying to track down some results because as, as you know, I mean, you've been watching presidential elections longer longer than i have but because everything it gets iffy their news reports will say oh one thing and then they'll double back on who is predicted to win the state and whatever else but as it stands presidential race biden has 89 electoral votes to trump's 63 and the senate has 39 in the democrats and 37 in the gop and i know that uh Oh, God, what state am I trying to think? Kentucky, they kept Mitch McConnell for whatever stupid fucking reason. Well, I know why. Well, you, you got to realize, uh, they kept Bitch McConnell, Moscow Mitch, Mitchie the Kid, uh, Yertle the Turtle, whatever you want to call the fat, wrinkled old fuck. Um, you're going to edit this out, right? No, I always oh, okay. play it wrong. Cause the thing is, is <laughs> I don't care. Because I don't do this for profit. I don't do a pod, the podcast to make money. If I if I was going to do it as a and and the beauty part is is I can say that it's parental advisory on it <laughs> for the posting. So when it goes up on YouTube or whatever else, I, all of my stuff is has a parental advisory sticker on it because I'll say fuck shit, piss cocksucker, motherfucker <laughs> stuff too. So I mean, and and so I don't. Yeah, I I it raw because to me to me that's better i mean that's that's human emotion everybody well we're 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 getting off track here yeah um i mean 
I mean, going, going back to what we talked about earlier, uh, it, it all comes down to God, guns, and gays. Yep. Um, and for whatever reason, I mean, Kentucky is a very, um, it's a very red state. I mean, you might take a look at Frankfurt, um, Louisville, who tend yeah. to tend blue, um, but the rest of the country uh, is very, very, very red. Um, I no doubt have relatives that live in Kentucky because um, I do have uh, Scottish blood in me and uh, Scottish blood basically settled Appalachia. So it wouldn't surprise me one bit um, if the Bowers family is still sprinkled uh, across parts of, you know, the, the Intermountain inner region of Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia. I didn't so realize that. Said, I didn't realize that was that was uh, part of your family. We have Bowers's up in this neck of the woods. So. Oh yeah, uh, the old um, the Hoquiam tree. Right. Yeah. 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 That was the Bowers. Yes. And I have no idea if they're any relation or not. I mean, Bowers is a fairly common Scottish name. Yeah. It's not too common though in the country. So. For all I know, they could be related. I don't know. Um, but I, th I think bottom line, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to have you take you get your take on it. There is a lot of fear in this country right now. Yeah. You have, and, and I'm going to be casting stones, so whoever listens to this, I hope they take it as not so much an indictment as just an observation. You see the world changing. White men no longer have the power they once did. Uh, women are coming into power. Minorities are coming into power. Um, so you see people who are trying to hold on to their place in society. So that's why you were seeing this resistance, this hate, this, um, for lack of a better term, um, pushback. Yeah. And the reason why is because they're scared. It's fearful rebellion. It is fearful rebellion because they see their way of life being threatened. Um, the other thing too is, and I'm going to say this, and I know that this is going to make waves, but I don't really give a shit. Um, the earth has too many people. The United States has too many people. We are at a, we are approaching a point where we cannot sustain life as we know it. So you have more people who demand a certain standard of living and that comes at the expense of other people. Right. So now you understand why there are wars. Now you understand why there's famine. You have, if you go to Africa, you take a look at how devastating a drought is, how devastating a, um, a weather event is, because basically these people rely upon so much from the land. And you've got Western society that is exploitating, we're, we're exploiting Africa, we're exploiting Western Australia, and other parts of the world, we're even exploiting our own 
portions of our of our countries in order to maintain a certain standard of living. And I feel like I can say that because I'm just as guilty of it. Uh, I think anybody who is a uh, successful member of society, we are all guilty of this exploitation. Right. So, Well, and that, and, and I agree. And I think, yeah. And that's kind of the deal is it's like we, and, and whenever you have a group, a, I guess you, you know, any minority, my quote unquote minority group come up the power, it's all about power structure. The whole, our whole society functions on well, sure on who has what power over whom and it's i've always kind of thought this you know it's it's what we're supposed to be human beings are supposed to be such this advanced being yet we can't shake as as a as a group of beings we cannot shake this inherent nature to to recoil at the fact that we may be lesser than something else or there may be something that can best us and it's it and it's frustrating because look there are some core facts and i and i do agree with you you know and i'll probably take heat for it too because i've got some really really hardcore liberal friends that are like well no the overpopulation thing is a is a joke and da, 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 da. well yes and no yes in that yeah, there's a ton of land that somebody could move to, but is it sustainable, habitable? Maybe not. And yet, well, let me put let me put it this way: when they when they ship the Cherokee, the Choctaw, the Cree, uh, when they shipped all the Native Americans who thrived in the Southeast, right when they shipped them to Missouri, Oklahoma, Northern Texas, they shipped them to a relatively inhospitable place to try to make a living. Right. There's a reason why the Dust Bowl occurred, not just once, but a couple times. Um, it's dry, it's arid, doesn't take much in the way of drought for your topsoil to essentially be blown away because of the winds and stuff. Right. So you've got an agricultural based family or family, you know, agricultural based society trying to eke out a living there and it's damn difficult. So they're going to be susceptible to the whims of the weather. Right. Um, but because they were viewed as, for lack of a better word, heathens, it was thought that they don't matter. Right. Um, so once again, it all, comes, it all comes down to what I said earlier. People are going to vote or refer to something as it relates to their pocketbook. They want to make sure that they can provide for their family, take care of their family, put a roof over their head, feed them, buy what they need, a, a bare minimum that they need. So, and I think that's where 
well, no, I I take that back. I know that's where the disconnect lies between the left and the right, because right. the right feels like they have been abandoned by the left, and I'm gonna I don't piss off your liberal friends on this, and I feel like I can do that because I'm a liberal. <laughs> yeah. I, I like to think that I can see both sides though, but at the same time, you have to realize that any laws that are produced on the state legislature or for that matter the the federal level no matter how well intentioned they are they're going to impact somebody down the food chain whether that be a farmer uh, whether that be a, a businessman struggling to get by so when you have somebody who's impacted negatively it's going to change their opinion and their view about government right so Probably the biggest, biggest thing that you're seeing right now is if you take a look at the rural-urban divide, there are a lot of rules that have been put in place to essentially ensure that we have clean water, clean air, uh, reduce carbon emissions, yada, yada, yada. Well, when those rules are created and put in place, they are blanket rules. Right. And so, okay, they work great for a city like Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, San Francisco. But what about a city like Aberdeen or Cosmopolis, Rochester, a smaller community that doesn't have near the issues that a bigger city does? Right. And, and we run, I see that a lot. I mean, at work, we run into that kind of stuff. I mean, even down to like, Department of Ecology testing, like some of the are, <laughs> they put these blanket rules in place that for um, wastewater, where you're with like the, the particulate percentage that they put, that they set for wastewater. And, and I might, and I will apologize, I'm being incredibly vague here because I know it to a degree, but I don't know it as well as like our engineers do, but the the particulate and the clarity of the of our wastewater, the numbers they have in place for that are literally cleaner than some of the drinking water that comes out of our pipes. <laughs> so it makes it incredibly difficult to, I mean, you're running an area where there are logs in there or whatever else sitting to make sure that that part per million is what it's supposed to be to not cause a fine. And I mean, and it's that kind of stuff. Right. And the other argument to that I would make too is that when government creates laws, our government, particularly the United States, because I think other countries have this figured out a little better than we do, at least particularly in some of the Norse countries and some of Western Europe, the way we do our laws is so incredibly punitive in that if you if you make a mistake you're honestly trying to do your best but you make a mistake and you fuck up we're not going to tell you how to fix it not going to try to help you how to and how to fix it and make it right we're just going to find the shit out of you and then keep right. pounding you into the ground until you either go out of business or you know somehow manage to figure it out yourself right and with you Right, and that is that in and of itself is, is wrong. And yes, it does impact how people view government. 
It impacts how people view laws that are created and made, whether it be in Olympia, uh, Salem, uh, Sacramento, or, or even Washington, D.C., because right. they view government as this uh, punitive entity and somebody who is not trying to help them, but is trying to hurt them for whatever reason. Right. And I... Going, going back to your wastewater uh, example, there is, the environment is a funny thing. Uh, a lot of people I don't think realize that wastewater or air uh, is a cumulative thing. So you might have a town way up in the boondocks of the Cascades or even the Olympics or what have you and their water is going to feed down into whether it be Grace Harbor uh, or whether it be Puget Sound or San Francisco Bay or wherever. Right. Well, between the point of origin and where it enters into the ocean, you have many little towns and communities along the way. So there's all kinds of variability. There's all kinds of variabilities and some people get it. Uh, some people don't necessarily. Um, and I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it to them that everything or, you know, to be, to use the cruder term, shit rolls downhill because that's right. essentially what's happening. Um, so the environment is one thing. Uh, business, uh, that's something else entirely different. I think that we do things in a, such a way that, is, that are punitive. We do tend to penalize people who are trying to do the best they can. Laws are written in such a way that one of two things happen. Um, big industry is able to get around it and skirt the law. So that whatever happens to them, they're able to essentially through their lawyers, through their retainers, through their lobbyists, they're able to basically get by scot-free. The small mom pop store in whether it be Aberdeen, Cosmopolis, uh, Mill City, Oregon, or for that matter, even Vancouver, they are going to get the hammer of Thor dropped on them. Right. Because they don't have that power. They're the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. I, I realize I'm saying all this stuff, and it's probably sounding like I'm, I'm a conservative. <laughs> no. Well, and, but this, this, that's the thing. And I think that goes, that actually goes to, a, to kind of a broader picture of, of why I think, to me, this whole election thing has kind of made me, made me sick. Because except for the very and i and i truly believe they are a very small group except for the the small group of uneducated followers of the president that no matter what kind of factual evidence you present them they're not going to believe you if we actually are able to put aside the fear and the hatred and the anger and all of the bare bone raw emotion if you can 
we can be evolved enough to set that aside and actually sit down and look at things and to talk. It's, I've always found that the difference between the far left and the far right is not all that great. In a sense, uh, well, depending on what it is. Or at least I'm on, going to disagree. Well, okay. On common sense stuff like this, I think there are common sense things that can be worked out in regulation and in doing things like that. But no, I, I, and I agree with you that the distinction in terms of social moray, beliefs, human rights, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, those are totally astral project. Like they're way away from each other. Well, I think they're, and I think, I think in, in some respects, I think there is, it, it, it's going to be dependent upon what the cultural issue is. I don't think anybody has necessarily an issue with um, civil rights for blacks, although you right. might have some that are still somewhat uh, ambivalent, if not resistant to it. Um, I think there is going to be, there's still resistance to women in the workplace. I think there is still this belief that uh, women are best served to stay in the home and take care of the family. Uh, and I also think that there is still a huge, huge, huge push against uh, civil rights for gays, lesbians, uh, queer, you know, the LGBT uh, oh, yeah. members of society because oh, they yeah. are an abomination in the eyes of God. Right. And, and that's, you know, and I'm a firm believer firm believer that 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 rise that we talked about before we started recording of the religious right in this country in the 70s and the 80s that's where everything went to hell well it certainly it certainly started us down that yellow brick road yes um because the likes of uh jerry falwell uh, Pat Jim and Tammy Faye. Um, who's the other asshole? Pat Robertson, um, that elvish-looking little evil imp. <laughs> Pat Robertson. Um, by the way, every time he, uh, I mean, you get ABC Family, I'm sure. Yes. Um, every every oh time God. they play uh, Harry Potter, he must uh, he must curl up on a little ball and suck his thumb because I mean the 700 yeah. Club plays on that channel. <laughs> but uh <laughs> but but regardless i mean they um they they have done a great job of basically saying these people are coming after your kids they're going to uh convert your kids away from your teachings and it's somewhat ironic in that uh christ himself you know part of the greatest teaching of the new testament is that all people in his eyes, all people in the Lord's eyes, are valued people, regardless of whether they're a saint or a sinner. Right. Um, you know, and if you, if you want to, you know, and there's this the famous meme that, hey, guess what, folks? <laughs> Jesus Christ was a socialist. Um, yeah. And I think that is certainly true. And yet that is the, that is the overwhelming um, argument against 
the so-called liberal agenda is that, well, we're going to turn the country into socialism. Well, I've got news for you. The country's been somewhat, we've had social programs since, oh, I don't know, the late 18th, late 18th century, late 19th century, sorry. Um, so to say that we're a socialist country, I think, is missing the mark. I, I mean, let me rephrase yeah. that. Uh, we are a socialist country to a degree. I mean, Franklin brought in socialism. He brought in um, basically looking after for one another. Um, the way he framed justification to go to war against Japan and Germany uh, was a, for lack of a better word, a socialist argument. Right. And because that was the only one he could make and get support for. <laughs> well, well, re well, regardless, um, yeah. he framed it as such that after the war was over, and this is where Truman and this is where um, Eisenhower came in. And for that matter, uh, you've also got Kennedy and Johnson and even Nixon, who said, right. you know, basically, these people went to war, some came back, some didn't. We need to take care of their families who sacrificed for these sacrificed these individuals, so that our way of life, or in the case of Vietnam, a way of life in a, of another country, could flourish. Of course, we all know what happened with Vietnam. Um, so there's always been a a lookout for one another argument in this country. The only difference is that it's been corrupted. Um, right. much like the Black Lives Matter movement has been corrupted. Um, you know, but that's another topic for another time, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's real, it's real easy for one side or another to corrupt an argument or a movement or for that matter, a legislative agenda right. in order to fit their need or to go against and present a proposition against the need. Yes. It's, I'm just actually checking the results right now. And we're at <coughs> Biden with 131 and Trump with 92. Okay, so it's still pretty close. It's close, but Biden took some states I'm really surprised with. Oh, such as? Colorado. No, no surprise. Because uh, they've been really red for, I mean, well, they went red for, for Trump. So that's was really. Colorado is a purple state. New Mexico is purple. New Mexico uh, went for. becoming purple. Yeah. New, New, well, and it's funny because as we were talking demographics, it's all about where people retire. You got a lot of Boeing money and a lot of Seattle folks that are retiring in those desert states. A lot of the snowbirds that stayed down there permanently but yeah new mexico went biden illinois is looking like has been declared for biden minnesota is really close florida is still a well no florida's probably going to go to trump because it's for 51 to 47 at this point how much is it 51 51.3 to 47 okay the big prize is pennsylvania the big price, and that's looking like it's going to Biden. 52.3, only 18% reporting right now, but it's 52.3 to 46.6. North. What Carolina. about Michigan and Wisconsin? Uh, 
Michigan, Wisconsin is Trump at 53 to 45, but it's only 34%. Michigan is Trump at 57.6%. Really? Yeah. That really surprises me. Which is really, uh, I don't know. I mean, after the fact that he got folks up there so riled up that they were going to assassinate their governor. Well. But Pennsylvania is looking good. 52.3%, 46.6%. The bad thing is that I'm seeing is I'm actually seeing some of these states that um, have third-party candidates in them particularly this Joe Jorgensen, she's picking up votes. But you can't really say whether or not she's going to be distracting from Trump or distracting from Biden. Right, because she put, because she is that weird middle, middle ground. Right. And well, I mean, that could be, that could be a bad thing for Biden. If she was a leaning right, it could be a bad thing for Trump. Yeah. I mean, I know nothing about her. Uh, she, well, she's in that weird libertarian party thing, which is a, is a strange animal in and of itself. So, well, that would tend to impact the Republican party more than it would the democratic right. party. Right. Well, and the weird thing is, is I know the weird thing is, is you've got with, with that group is, is they, I know some some millennials that just kind of said fuck it and were and voted voted third party just for the hell of it because there's they they that's the hard thing and I will bash my own generation when I when I say this and some of the people younger than than I am and and this is the Democrats' fault is because they repeatedly shoot themselves in the foot and refuse to get progressive losing out on the young person's vote and we're I, at least i think we're very quickly reaching a point where the young people are going to out or young people are going to outnumber older people and if you guys don't if somebody doesn't energize these people and make them give a shit you, this country cannot afford to have multiple gen x's well, the problem here, and I understand what you're saying, and I, you have a valid point, but you also have to realize that there are still a significant number of old cranky farts like myself. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to discount what the millennials want, because I agree with nearly everything that they want. I want universal health care. I want us to do away with uh, the way business does things. I want to see more equitable treatment among minorities. Um, but you have a number of people my age, and once again, this goes back to everybody's going to vote their pocketbook. They want to make sure that what they have is protected. Right. So you can't just say, well, you know, we're going to do this, but we're going to make sure that 
your stuff is going to stay safe because invariably something will happen to somebody where what they have right now is going to be impacted or taken away or right and somehow and I agree with that, but I think, in this, and this is what actually, so my buddy Alex and I were talking about this, and it's a frustration to me, is that, you know, the, you know, the, the, it goes to the Magus saying, you know, if you look at when this country was its most prosperous, it was when taxes were 90%, the business, and we're not talking like, you know, even the Swansons, say, back in their heyday. Talking Boeing, Microsoft, you know, the steel companies, the big, big businesses, when their taxes were at 90% and the incentive to lower those taxes was to create more jobs and expand your business to be able to write that off as a tax write-off to bring that percentage down. And a lot of people don't understand, and the average person doesn't understand, that that's how that system works. Right. But when, when, when liberals and millennials say tax the rich, it's not that we just want that money distributed. It's that we want it the way it was so that it incentivizes and incentivized. Ooh. Well, we are actually in a pause here. I just lost Joe. Where'd he go? We will take a pause. All right, so we're resuming our recording. We had a uh, restart snafu, as it were. So anyway, no, so I was actually just looking at kind of some more numbers that are coming up. Um, he basically, uh, Biden has basically taken everything in the Northeast except for Maine uh, and Westford. Like, so he's got Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. Yeah, he's got everything except for Maine. And then North Carolina is still up for grabs. He's barely leading there. Um, uh, Texas is still, Texas is close, but it's 50% Trump to 48 Biden. Um, Minnesota is overwhelmingly Biden. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to be tight. It's going to be really, really tight. I have to admit, Michigan surprises me. Um, I mean, Trump made a big push over, look what I've done for the American worker. And he hasn't done a goddamn thing for the American worker. But a lot of his, a lot of those sycophants think that he has. They, he's got, and that's, again, we, we kind of in the previous text, we talked about this. It's that it's that Third Reich, I, if I yell it loud enough and I yell it strong enough, eventually people will believe me. And he's got enough uneducated blue-collar workers believing that he's doing everything he says he's doing when he's doing absolutely fucking nothing. I, I pissed off a bunch of people on Facebook one day by simply saying this, if you want to know who to blame for losing your job, blame me. Because I chose 
to go to college. I chose to learn a technology career. I chose to take my knowledge and find a way to improve manufacturing. I found a way to reduce the need for humans to do the same work that the machine can do. I basically took a factory that once employed 1,500 workers and reduced that body count down to 500. You cannot blame Hispanics because you are not going to go out into the field and pick crop. No. You can't blame a Middle Easterner because they're all shop owners. Right. You can't blame anybody but me because I saw a way to modernize things. And the result is you lost your job. It's technological it, advancement. Yes, exactly. And, and yes, and I'm not, and I don't discredit that at all, because I do, I believe that as well, and I think it's true. Though I would argue that business owners and um, the power elite have taken technological advancements that, while yes, lowered workforce need, they took them and used them to do that across the board and then did not bother to pay people at their same wages to learn how to safely and properly operate those high-tech machines. Well, you have to realize they don't know. Right. No. And so it's, and this is, it's, it's an interesting story. I read it. Shit. I think it was in, a couple of years ago. It was right after, uh, right after the Trump election when he after, and it, it goes ties back into Detroit in Michigan. Is they were talking about the fact that there was kind of this swap in the United States of who manufactures what type of cars where, and it's like all of the American manufacturers sent their shit down to Mexico and Japan, and China. And all of the Asian manufacturers brought their stuff over to the South. And so Toyota, they were talking about a Toyota plant. And they're down there in this, that they were talking about the serious bodily injury that people are experiencing in these plants and not having insurance or anything else because it's a right to work state in a Southern state. So they get the shit made cheap more cheaply, but the quality goes down. And they were talking about there was a, a machine that put bolts in or it, it did some sort of drilling or welding or some sort of thing with an automatic arm and it was computerized and somebody had to monitor that machine. And then if it malfunctioned, you know, you've got to do the corrective things. The problem was, is they had nobody in the plant. They had a gal that was operating it that did not know how to handle any of the fail saves because they didn't train her and it malfunctioned and a piece broke in it and she went in to try to correct it because the only people that could do this thing this safety thing were the asian technicians that were several hundred miles away <laughs> so she goes into this room and tries to turn this machine off and remove this piece and get it 
so that it doesn't break down because if it breaks down then she's shit out of luck because it means her job because she gets paid for however many widgets this machine does right she went in there and the machine impaled her oh nice and killed her and it's because again like i said the technology that that yes improves improves speed and improves amounts that can come out just because you eliminate jobs does not mean you remove a skill requirement and also does not mean you should be paying somebody less than to be operating a machine that requires that level of skill oh oh, certainly not and that's where the difference comes in is that the power brokers basically went oh okay any any trained monkey can operate this machine so because it's so automated so we're just going to do that and then they eliminated jobs where they actually could have been they eliminated jobs to make more profit as is the story to in order to because they thought technology that was it they didn't need to have anybody skilled and it's so frustrating to me and then once again it's always going to come down to it's always going to come down to greed right always and until and i i don't begrudge anybody making a profit i don't begrudge anybody making money no i do begrudge people making money at the expense of life and limb of others because now that makes you really nothing more than a, a makes you a glorified plantation owner right um so in many ways things haven't really changed from the 1800s no the and, difference is that technology has gotten better and you're also um it, not not only in your own factories, but depending on what the thing is you're you are making, your the lower quality product could be endangering the lives of of somebody else in uh, that in how do you say this accidentally, as it were? I guess you know it wasn't intentional, but because you put out a shitty product, it killed somebody i mean look at all of the crap with um the airbags that have been coming out and the fact that they were poorly manufactured and they were misfiring and i mean and automotive recalls the one thing i will say that for for the asian automakers and just asian culture in general their cultural idea of face is really something the United States might want to think about adopting because it holds those it holds the people in that culture to a standard that of excellence that that is probably more stressful than the average American could handle but it makes it so that they don't fuck up and when they do they 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 have to atone for it and they work hard not to fuck up so they don't have to atone for it right and that is where i I think that is the dichotomy between eastern and western philosophy 
Yes. Uh, I don't know if this is a. I don't know if this is a Buddhist um, I don't know if this is a, a Buddhist tenet versus a or not a Buddhist tenet but a Buddhist ethic uh, versus a capitalist or a Christian ethic uh, I because I like to think that ethics between Buddhists uh, uh, shit, Islamists or Christians are not that much different. You don't want to harm anybody. No. Uh, I mean, of course, you can take the extremist and toss their belief system immediately out the window, but yet that is what is driving many of the problems today. But yes. if you just go off of the base tenets of the philosophy, the goal is not to hurt anybody. Right. So with Holy that, uh-oh, something happened. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut in, but uh, early results for Arizona, I mean, I know this doesn't surprise you, but Biden is carrying it 54% to 44%. And one of the little interesting pieces that I can see based on the numbers is that the states that um, Joe Jorgensen is on the ballot for, we were indeed correct. She seems to be pulling from from Trump's numbers. And that makes sense because a lot of a lot of what Trump has carried, uh, take a look at Culp. Um, oh boy. Yeah. You know, the, the right-wing moron here from the town of Republic. Um, if you if you read his platform, he's a libertarian. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if you listen to him, he's an idiot. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yes. So on the places where she is on the ballot, um, it doesn't surprise me that she would pull from Trump. Uh, the only question is, where is she on the ballot at? Is she on the ballot in battleground states? Um, is she on the ballot in states that tend to be a little bit more of the, um, dare I say, frontier mentality? Uh, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, the Dakotas, et cetera. Yeah. Because oh, I'll be honest, from what you're telling me right now, the states that are going for Trump are the states that they had already predicted are going for Trump. Yeah, basically, that's what I'm seeing is that, is that, yeah, it's the what, yeah, exactly. And then again, this, this election is very, to me, it's very reminiscent of actually the first election. I wasn't even able to vote in it, but in the 2000, um, 2000 election where it's really comes down to the swing states right and i think i think you have to pay attention to michigan because i think that that will go to biden yeah because it's only 27 percent, and right now biden's creeping up at 42.2 percent and but trump's 56.1 let's look at the county breakdown real quick then because it all depends upon lansing 
-hmm. Detroit, um, some of the other larger metropolitan areas, because those are going to be the last ones they're going to report because basically, right. you know, and it wouldn't surprise me if they put Biden over the top. Yeah, Washtenaw County, which is a huge, one of the bigger populated counties, is heavily Biden. Wayne County right now, which is one of the heavier populated counties, is heavily Biden. Um, so, yeah, and there's a couple other ones that are looking that might lean that way. And, yeah, it's the major cities or what's left of the people in the major cities there. Right. Um Michigan, or not Michigan, but Wisconsin. This Wisconsin, you have a lot of, with the exception of Green Bay, Milwaukee, um, a couple other cities. Um, the bulk of the population there is rural. A lot of small towns, agricultural right. towns. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if that is a toss-up state. Um, yeah, I mean, Indiana, that's going to go for Pence because they're basically idiots. Yeah, no, yeah, Indy, Indy is weird. I, I, and I only have a little bit of experience. I stayed in Indianapolis for about a week. Um, for one of the, I went to the Elks Grand Convention and, and was there for a week, and it's just the sheer topographical layout of that state is strange <laughs> because it's like like in it because Indy like you fly in and you fly over nothing but barren like countryside and houses that are falling apart and then you hit downtown Indy and it's like like this it's it's like Olympia meets Seattle in the <laughs> compartmentalized area and then everything else around it is rural well, Indiana, Indianapolis or Indiana, uh, to some degree, Illinois, uh, certainly Tennessee, yeah. uh, parts of Ohio. It is very much a, I mean, they call them Rust Belt states, but they really are, they re they really are agricultural based right now because there is right. no. Uh, steel manufacturing really does not exist in those states anymore no though it's interesting to me again as with all the red states i'm looking at indiana right now the 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 these city areas are predominantly going for biden like right going for biden right and that doesn't surprise me because your major metropolitan areas they get well, it all comes back down to this urban-rural divide that we spoke of earlier. Right. Um, it's the way of life. It's the pocketbook. You, you, the farmer's going to go for the guy that says he's bringing back the farm jobs, and the cities are going to go for the guy that that is saying, you know, I want college-educated kids. I want da-da-da-da-da. And it and it still it also comes back down to what we said too about regulation, about taxes, things of that nature. Right. Um, legislation is written with a one size fits all. Right. And there's no such thing as a one size fits all. That's like you and I going to 
uh, Costco and getting a parka that's three sizes too big. We might right. only pay 20 cents for it, but it really doesn't do us any good. Right. I'm just, I'm just trying to do a little math here too, but depending on their, yeah, they've got Biden at 131 now. So if he takes Washington at 12 plus Oregon at seven plus California at 55, that puts him at 205. He needs what, 270? Uh, something like that. So, man, Ashevitz, he's going to have to take, uh, he's going to have to take Texas or Florida. Well, as much as I hate to say this, I'm expecting the worst, but hoping for the best. Yeah, I am too. I'm expecting, what I'm expecting is that it will be close. Um, I, have you been following any of the Keith Olbermann stuff I sent you? No, I have not. Olbermann said that today. He said, you know, or the other day, he said, what he sees happening is that if it comes that close, Trump will try to find a television network that will let him speak live. He'll claim victory and then immediately go to the courts and try to have the courts. He's basically going to try to pull a political coup. He's going to try to what? Pull a political coup. Um, yeah, I read that. All, I read that on a couple of, a uh, couple of, I think the Atlantic and the Guardian today. Yeah, and then and basically declare himself the winner, and if he can get enough people to buy it, he'll um, he, he'll take it to the Supreme Court and he'll start challenging close states if they don't go his way, and he's going to just try to do every everything he can because he knows when he's when when he is done in that office, there are going to be some guys with some cuffs waiting on him. Oh yeah, he's, but the thing about it is, and I don't know how this will play out. Um, well, I, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. Um, it's getting kind of late right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I was going to say, we've been chatting a while and I appreciate it very much. Oh, hey, I had a, I had a good time. I'm glad you uh, invited me over. And I'm I'm gonna go have dinner. That's what um, I'm gonna do, and see. If have have another drink, out. and basically um, not worry about it because it's out of my hands. I've done I've done my job. Yeah. I can't. All I can do is just hope and pray and yeah. see what happens. Hopefully, other people came to the same conclusion that the orange skin piece of shit needs to go. Yeah, and the, one way or the other, whether it be on his own or in a body bag. Well, and that's the thing, is he, you know, and that's the thing. If the if the Democrats take the Senate, that could be a ray of hope for for this country too. Uh, but if if uh, bitch if bitchy the kid is elected, still, I think that went by the wayside. Although I don't know how. Um, no, there were other there were other areas open. There were other um, Senate seats there. Well, I know um, McSally in Arizona's in deep shit. 
Uh, I guess little Lindsey Graham is in a little bit of trouble too. I don't know how he's doing. No, I, I'm just trying to find that because all they, you know, they're focusing on the president, of course. So I want right. senatorial Senate races. And uh, Tom Tillis was in deep shit. Yeah. Um, so was Susan Collins. Yeah, in Maine, yeah. Uh, Mark Winner, one in Virginia. Uh, yeah, but he's an incumbent. Yeah. Isn't he? Mark Warner? Yeah, uh, Winner, I think. Uh, Colorado. Yeah, Graham, damn it. Lindsey Graham won in South Carolina. Uberville won in Alabama. Well, it's Alabama. Haggerty. Uberville won? The guy couldn't coach his way out of a paper bag, and he's now a senator? Uberville. Oh, for fuck's sake. Tommy Tuberville in Alabama, 61% of the vote. Like, like the Steely Dan song goes, they call Alabama the Crimson Tide. Yeah. It goes to show that stupidity runs deep. Yeah, Tom Cotton there, Jimmy Einhoff there, John Cornyn there. Man, Ashevitz, man. These guys, yeah. It's tied right now in the Senate, but there's still there's a cup there's a seat in Oregon, as I'm sure you're well aware of. In Oregon? Yeah, there's a seat, uh Jeff Merkley and Joe Ray Perkins. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea Merkley was up for election. There hadn't been any ads whatsoever up here. That's weird. But yeah, because I was, <laughs> hey, what, about an hour from there? You'd think some of your TV would have carried something. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm less than five miles away from the river. Well, right. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's comical. I mean. I mean, uh, DeFazio's been getting pushed back from this little little bitch who used to be on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and there's a bunch of other little whiny Republicans who are running, but, well, you know, they've Arizona, got... Mark Kelly is beating that McSally. He's what? He's beating her. Mark Kelly is beating her. Oh, yeah, because they made the mistake of going after his wife. Oh, right. Yeah. And she's a, she's, what is she? She's a, she was a representative. Yeah. And she was attacked by a, uh, well, I'll just say she was attacked and she was shot yeah. and you know, she right. managed to, and I can't, oh, Gabby Giffords. Yeah. Oh, that's his wife's Gabby. Yeah. Oh shit. I didn't realize that. And they made the mistake of going after her. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> she there, was well the, liked. Yeah. You know, there's the old expression that you don't go after a, a mama bear and her cubs. Well, you yeah. don't go after Papa Bear either. Right. That, Papa Bear's not afraid to go all out. Right. And that's why, and I will say this, and I know I'll let you go because I know we're gonna be wrapping up, but that's that's the one thing I will say. I think the thing that frustrated me the most even since 16 watching the republican primaries when you know when the, that party re had a tiger by the tail and it should have let it go and it didn't but watching ted cruz put his smarmy tail between his legs and watching it was cruz and it was 
so much Cruz. It was Lindsey Graham. Graham, all those guys that he personally attacked, that Trump personally yeah. attacked, their families, their wives, that son of a bitch would have said it. What he said about and, and with Cruz, his dad, trying to say that his dad was responsible for the Kennedy assassination or had something to do with it. I'd have beat the piss out of that motherfucker on the stage. You gotta realize Cruz is a coward. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. Lindsey Graham is a coward. Yeah. Um, for that, that matter, so is uh, Rick Scott. He's also a yeah. coward. And that's um, like you, you know, and I think as a human being, he was a horrible person. But if John Wayne would have been on that stage as a political candidate and another Republican had said the things about his wife that Trump said about those guys' wives, families, spouses, John Wayne would have put a cowboy boot up his ass. I would think. I don't know that, though. Uh, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it at that because what I've heard and what I know about John Wayne, are, it's kind of disturbing. Yeah, he's a hor- He was a horrible person. I yeah. very much. <laughs> but, but anyway, well, yeah. A name no. like Marion, who wouldn't be? Yeah, that's like that's, <laughs> that. Maybe that's where Cash got the idea for a boy named Sue. Ah, uh, could be. I'm. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, Joe, again, so much. Thank you. And it was good to talk to you. Maybe we'll catch up on stuff outside of politics down the road here. Well, the only other thing to get caught up on is how badly the Red Sox sucked this last year. Ooh, that's right. You're a, you're a, you're a, or you're a Boston fan, aren't you? Well, I lived there for three years. Ah, you never yeah. forget your first baseball team. No, I've, I've no. written off the Mariners for good. Well, that, and I always feel bad because my first. I've always said this, my first football team was actually the, the 49ers, and I started watching them when Steve Young and Jerry Rice were in their prime. So, yeah. man, and to see, you know, to see that and then realize that, hey, we got a local football team. So I've been a Seahawks fan since then, but no, yeah, Boston. <laughs> you, you go from the top of the heap to the bottom of the cellar in less than two years. It's harsh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy. Anyway, the, Joe, it was a pleasure. Thank yeah, you very thanks. much for having me on. I'm sorry about the interruption, but I had fun. Oh, I did too. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Later.